You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 472, the last round of the 90s cultural quiz, a question of sport and Zoe Ball's salary, and Terence Conran and the Clash. That's all coming up after Reverend and the Makers and heavyweight champion of the world. Now that she's older, as the embers of romance fades and mortgages and lecky bills being comfortable and that nobody told her. Cause she'd never reached the stage where a husband bored her or she lied about rage. He's compromising, at least he's got a job alive. Get born, get school, get job, get car, pay tax and find a wife. And on that note, it ain't gonna come too soon if you're not living on the edge. You take up too much room. great singles from the 2000s it absolutely biffed its way into the summer of 2007 taken from their first album the state of things it reached number eight on the uk top 40 reverend and the makers and heavyweight champion of the world 
And I was one of the people that got it to number eight because I bought it on vinyl on a seven inch single at the time before the vinyl revival was called. But yes, I am a fan of that tune. It has a real, like you say, a real, if you pardon the pun, punch to it. Oh, thank you. Uh Thank you very much for joining us for the latest edition of the Parish Council. It's episode 472. I'm Terence Stackham. And thank goodness, finding her way back from the grouse moors just in time. It's <laughs> Juliet Harris. Um, but did you know, grouse moor related fact, I, I knew that and part of our, our ire about it is the fact that it is a relatively small number of people with a relatively large number of power, uh, a relatively large amount of power. Did you know that less than 150 people own a grouse moor no i didn't but i suppose they own about five million acres each that's the thing but but i but i knew it was a fairly you know elite group of people but i didn't quite know it was that elite but anyway that's my uh that's my enraging fact of the week hello everyone Well, the 90s had to end sometime um, at the the 31st of December 1999, if I remember correctly. That seems to have been the the tipping point. Yes. (laughs) And um, our cultural exploration in the guise of a 90s quiz also has to run its course. And that is today with the final round of our grand 90s cultural quiz. And for those of you not fans of the 90s, it is finally over. (laughs) I'll have to think of something else for next week. I was going to say, well, you've done sterling work on this (laughs) series. So uh, who knows? Maybe we could. Maybe you could have a week off. But then you don't <laughs> like it when I write your quizzes. You get oh, no. Quiz, so I'm not sure what the what the solution no, is. No, don't do that. Um, for the last four weeks, there have been five people, bands, movie stars, whatever's for you to find. This week, for reasons to be explained at the end, there are six to find. Oh, okay. All right then. That, that, I'm sure you have a plan. I have a plan. See if you can beat Juliet in the Who Am I in the 1990s. There's a plan, I reckon. Three clues to each. Uh, Three points if you name me after one clue. Two from two clues. One point if you need all three. Try to make them a little bit more difficult again. um, (laughs) Oh, man. Who is, yes. With that in mind, if you score five points, lost your deposit. Uh Uh-oh. Eight points, eager backbencher. Mm -hmm. Twelve points, prime minister. Fifteen points, queen or king of all you survey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, let's let's try for eager backbencher and see how we go from there. Okay, right. Who am I? 1990s. Mm-hmm. I was born in 1967, and in 1998, I co-presented the Eurovision Song Contest with Terry Wogan and the Royal Variety Performance with Ronan Keating. I actually know this oh, because. Yes. I watched it as part of Eurovision again that was uh, during lockdown. And I believe that it was an excellent presenting performance at Eurovision. And she's never given her due, Eureka Johnson. It was Eureka. Well done. Three points. Uh, I, I, thought, I, I, I thought you would be uh, stifled there. Um, I would not have known that had I not seen it during lockdown. I think it was it would have been on in sort of around May because they were showing them on the Eurovision channel every Saturday night. They'd show an old Eurovision. And one thing I was struck by, 1998 was the last Eurovision in which um, people had to sing in their own language. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Mm. Show to later shows. Also, Eureka Johnson, I thought, was an excellent presenter, partly because she has a very nice speaking voice. It was when, it was when I suppose, as my dad would put it, people still spoke properly, and she spoke very properly. So I liked that. But also, um, 
she half of it was in French. She spoke French and good was good. and was fine. It was seamless. She she you know the, the French bits she did was were, were good. She worked well with Terry Wogan. She's always been rather sort of you know derided, but I think she's a very good presenter. So I wish that Eureka Johnson got more due for being a school presenter. Here's a bonus point for you out of thin air. Spell oh. her surname for me. Oh man. Okay. Uh, <laughs> J O. Yes. N. Yes. N. You've lost your bonus oh, point. No, it's, 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 so it's, it's, it's J O N, and then is it S S O N? Yes. Oh, half, right. Half a bonus point. Okay, then. 3.5. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was one of the most famous people in the world in the 1990s. My group sold over 80 million records worldwide. My autobiography is called Learning to Fly. Unfortunately, I know this as well. I'm sorry. It's Victoria Beckham. Ridiculous. I'm <laughs> glad this quiz is coming to an end. It's <laughs> I knew you'd take absurd. it well. That's the nicest thing. I knew that you'd approach it with the levels of generosity and calmness <laughs> with which I've come to associate you. Another bonus point out of thin air. Hmm. Um, her first so- solo single made it to number two in the UK. Who did she collaborate with? on that uh, solo thing. it was it was dame bowers formerly of another level bonus point for you there <laughs> all right let's <sighs> listeners this is just unbearable for me so i'm nice so sorry is, um, what's so nice is how supportive you are of me in all my- <laughs> and that never changes i was born in chicago in 1951 i appeared on the david letterman show 50 times oh wow um just trying to think. Um, oh, there's a few listeners shouting the answer. Uh, I bet, I bet. Uh, lots of people are shouting they could do better than me, which I'm sure they could. I don't know, so I'm going to yeah. say Robin Williams. <laughs> Three points. Oh, no way. <laughs> oh, man. He was the only comedian I could think of who, because you were speaking in the past tense, had died that might be around that age. Right, this fourth <laughs> fourth one has got a really difficult three-point uh, okay. clue, so let's I'm, really cross my I'm fingers. I'm riding my luck so far, so let's see. My show, filmed in New Zealand, ran from September 1995 to June 2001. Hmm. Um, uh, I'll guess uh, um, Gary Sanders. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I'm pleased for you that I got for it two wrong. points. <laughs> for two points, I am in ancient Greece and I use my incredible fighting skills to help others. I'm accompanied by Gabrielle. Ah, oh, Xena Warrior Princess. Xena Warrior Princess. Two points for you there. <sighs> I feel a little bit better now. I'm uh, glad. Now, I'm glad that you feel calmer about the fact I'm doing well. That's that's not nice. Sure about this fifth one. Uh, let's. Uh, sh- well, we'll see. Born in 1959, I was Minister of Tourism in my country between 2012 and 2013. Don't get it, don't get it. <laughs> um, oh, 2012 and 2013. I was Minister of Tourism in my country. Yeah, Minister from the 90s. Uh, face from the 90s. Oh, Melissa, yeah, 1990s is where you know me from. I will guess I will guess completely wrongly. I should know this and I don't. I'm going to say Arnold Schwarzenegger, even though it oh, isn't. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. 1994, 
saw my biggest international hit single. It features three languages, French, English, and the West African language, Wolof. Oh, Yusundor. Yusundor. Bonus point. Spell his full name. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so... Um, Y-O. Yes. Double S. You missed a U, but I'll give oh. you... Keep going. Y-O-U-double-S, yes. O-U. Correct. Surname. N. Yes. D. Yes. O-U-R. I'm going to give you half a point. That was very good. You just missed the U of Yusu. Fair enough. It's an easy mistake to make. I, I, I do it constantly. Finally, the final question in our 90s mm-hmm. cultural quiz. I was FIFA Player of the Year in 1998, 2000, and 2003. I won the Ballon d'Or in 1998. Um, Zinedine Zidane. Oh, you're on fire <laughs> absolutely you on fire tell me that you'd headbutted someone at some point was that one of the yeah, later clues it was one of the later ones where he headbutted uh, a geezer in the people. chest yes yeah. exactly yes now that, that was superb uh jules in the uh, three six nine um 12 and 14 16 but of course it was out of 18 so i, I, I you you've got the freedom of the all you survey in any case well, thank you, you very much That's absolutely very sterling performance and then uh two bonus points as well two halves and a one so absolutely fantastic now the thing is jules i've got another question mm-hmm. for you here for the last five weeks there's been a theme through this 90s quiz oh, no. 100 points a, a huge 100 points and the freedom of the land if you spotted it. And I have another clue uh, if you don't, if you haven't. I'm not sure I have. So could okay. we have, could I have another clue, please? I'm going to give you 26 oh, points because. I think, you, I think I know. You, 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 the, the answers are in alphabetical order. They've all been in alphabetical which, order. Which makes you an insane genius because I've just noticed today it's U, V, W, X, Y, Z. That's right. And provide, before that, we started off with Alanis Morissette, Band-Aid, Captain, wow. Tom Jolly, Emmerdale Fugis, George Michael, Whitney Houston, Imbruglia, J.K., Kate Moss, Lenny Kravitz, Marilyn Manson, Nine Inch Nails, O.J. Simpson, Prodigy, A Tribe Called Quest, Q, Roseanne, Shaman, Titanic. <sighs> I hope you heard me clapping. That is I heard you clapping. Book. Well done, Terence. I'm going to give you the 100 points because I was. I think you got it just as I was about to move on yeah. to the second clue. So you get 100 bonus points there. The whole thing was in alphabetical order. I'm never doing that again. Wow. I, but, but, then you, <laughs> but then having said that, you know, what could ever top that? You know, that is that oh, is yeah, I'm, but... I'm glad that that is left as is that was wonderful thank you for all i would like to thank you on behalf of the listeners i would like to thank you for all your work terence i'm pinning a medal on your jumper but juliet it's, it's not over it's not all over because we parent would say we don't want to give you that on exactly who we've got three bonus questions they're all on 1990s ish boy bands mm. So just when you thought the fun was all over. <laughs> Let's do some boy bands. Shall Let's we? do some boy bands. In the 1990s, which boy band set up a promotion with a fast food chain? Uh, by the way, they're all multiple choice. So as ever, you're going to have a choice for. If you bought the meal named after them, 
you could buy their new CD for $2.99. Was it the NSYNC Big Mac, the Backstreet Boys Whopper, the Take That Wimpy Olympian, or the Boys to Men KFC Super Meal Deal? Uh, the Wimpy Olympian should have been called the Wimpelin, surely. That would have saved <laughs> a lot of time. Oh, I mean, I don't think it's take that. It's more likely to be an American boy band, given the pricing. It is. Uh, I am going to go for NSYNC. It was the Backstreet Boys. Oh, damn it. That was my first instinct, and I taught myself out of it, which is the first rule of pub quizzing. Do not deny your first instinct. The Backstreet Boys at the time said, and I quote, by working with Burger King, we're giving fans the chance to enjoy some new and live music when they come in for a whopper. (laughs) Thanks, guys. That's really nice. Second question of boy bands. Who was given to 1990s ish? Who was given squad number 28 for Doncaster Rovers for the 2013-14 season and played for the reserve team in the Central League? Four answers. Okay. Was it Sean Conlon of five? Louis Tomlinson of One Direction? Lee Ryan of Blue? Or Kenzie of Blazing Squad? I think it was Louis Tomlinson of One Direction. Final question. Boy mm-hmm. bands. I'm going to miss the 90s, Terence. Thanks for this. <laughs> now, this is Spot the Lyric. Oh, man. And this is a very moving lyric from uh, <laughs> a 1990s uh, song. I'm laughing already. I'm laughing in anticipation. Plant a seed, plant a rose. You can plant any one of those. Keep planting to find out which one grows. It's a secret no one knows. <laughs> It's it's like Wordsworth, isn't it? Or Alfred Lord Tennyson, really. Whoever said romance is dead, it's possibly in a critical condition, but it's not dead. Was that from Little Things by One Direction? I Just Want to Be With You by Unsync. <laughs> Unsync. Unsync. Yeah. Umbop by Hanson or Hanging Tough by New Kids on the Block? Well, I thought it was You, My Love by by, uh, by Westside, so that's completely wrong. None I'm going to go in one direction. It was Umbop by oh, Hanson. Oh, my friend Grace will, will be crossing me for not knowing that, as she was a big Hanson fan in the 90s. Um, uh, you might have recalled earlier on in lockdown, people did these kind of 10-album challenges where each day they would share an album that had inspired them as they were growing up. And uh, one of my favourite sort of early lockdown Archers-esque side plots was someone I'd known from school who hadn't been very pleasant at times was picking their 10 inspiration albums and they were all dreadful every single day and they seemed to get worse and worse every day. We thought that they picked at Westlife, they hadn't They picked, we thought we picked at Michael Bolton, they hadn't and she picked Middle of Nowhere by Hanson which is the album that, that involves Umbop and I was complaining about this to my friend Grace who up, uh, upbraided me and said that she had been a fan of it and then a nice friend of mine from school also hooked that as one of their inspiration albums and i said to, to grace you know i, I generously used and i magnanimously admitted that you know maybe it was a thing after all and i just didn't get it to which she replied yeah we will not be bullied by you indie kids anymore so uh, my apologies to all fans of hansen out there for not for not spotting that for also having been quite judgmental in the past i do i do recommend uh, googling the lyrics to umbot because it really is 
but that sort of poet laureate style I mean, penmanship of the highest order. Profound, I think. In an mm. umbop, you're gone. In an umbop, you're not there. I mean, you know, we're all learning that's true, aren't we? So I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying they're wrong. It's just, um, it's, it's unexpected, isn't it? The profoundness mm. of a boy band lyrics. Yeah, it's like the Dalai Lama has helped them co-write it. Frankly, it's uh, well, very philosophical. I don't think there's reason to be that snotty about it. <laughs> they were just kids. They were doing their best. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was what it was. Coming right up, more trouble at the BBC. It's a question of Sue Barker and Zoe Ball. That's right after Milo.
I really love Milo's music. He's only done, I say one album of notes. I think he's only done one album, actually, unless you count a, a, a mix that he did for a, for a dance music magazine. Um, this this album that he released has pretty much pretty much been the, the only one. And it's a shame because I think it's a really wonderful album that, I, that I've listened a lot to to over the years i used to play all the time it's called destroy rock and roll is the album um it had a number of singles that that were sort of famous from it a uh, drop the pressure was everywhere in my arms is everywhere um dr pressure which is a remix with a miami sound machine sampled on it but um i really love that it's got such a dreamy sound to it um it's the opener of that album i think it gets off to a really kind of nice start and it's 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 stood the test of time this record i think it's worth it's worth listening to it's got some clever samples on it and i think it's a really coherent album Uh, that was valley of the dolls it's it's interesting i didn't know much about him so i was looking him up and it's another example of a musician or or dj in this case who's just disappeared Mm. um as you say his last music well his last music release was in 2006 his last live appearance was in 2010 and his website domain has expired so that's always a a a bit strange how people can be successful and then just disappear yeah they just go and i mean there there were rumors of various you know sort of unhappinesses that were sort oh, of okay. induced and that sort of thing but i don't know but um but it's so strange that mm-hmm. um that it was it was unnamed it was included in the book a thousand and one albums you must hear before you die if we lock down again i might be hearing a lot of those but yes. um, it's uh it was also named the 21st best album of the decade by resident advisor that's the strangest thing there were seven singles off that album it was it was successful yes. you still occasionally hear tracks from it um, sort of in the background, your property programs that you watch during mm. the day, or those oh, sort of yes. things, when they're using kind of random bits of music in the background, you still occasionally hear. But when they want to sort of show things with pep, you still occasionally hear bits of a uh, bits of Milo stuff. He did in 2005. He released a DJ mix entitled um, Milo's Rough Guide to Rave, and it was at a cover mount on um, and for Mixmag and. Um, he um he uh he uh, had a world exclusive track on and he did another DJ mix including a new song for Mix Mag in 2009 and then he's never like you say he's kind of gone away after headlining mm-hmm. a festival in in 2010 no one knows where he is it's really strange peculiar now there's a bit of a trope that has established itself that is if you criticise the BBC you must come from a, a right wing viewpoint you're a BBC basher and you have an ulterior motive because you want to shut it down or have it privatised equally if you defend the BBC then the media and social media seems to assume that you're a Corbynista um, who, who, <laughs> yeah. who wants to use the BBC to promote socialist ideology and you know march on comrade or not something I think it's possible to be neither of those stereotypes but to still hold hold a microscope to the BBC and try to examine the reality yeah well hold it to account like you would do any public institution exactly sometimes programs uh, they need to be refreshed and at those times even the viewers who enjoy the show don't realise it's becoming moribund and short of ideas. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It's, often, it's often the case in life, the same in TV. People generally don't welcome change. They often fear it. Um, the BBC quiz show, A Question of Sport, has been running for 50 years, 5 mm-hmm. 50 years. Sue Barker has been the presenter and quiz master for 23 of those um, 50 years. One team captain, Matt Dawson been in place 16 years the other phil tufnell 13 years mm. now it's been announced with much hue and cry 
these three are to, to, to they're to leave, and the show is to be rebooted with the front runner, the uh, former footballer Alex Scott, as host. And this has caused controversy. Some, I don't know, maybe most are resistant to change, as I say. Some maybe you know, think it's time for a change. You can't have both in this world, Jules. Should the BBC have stuck with a winning format and left well alone? Or in a new era for the BBC, is this the first of many an overdue, overdue shake-up? I'm inclined to think the latter, actually, to the point where I'd, my response has been to, the, to this has been good. Now, do have I got news for you? Is my my oh, view on this? What a I good think, point. I think there's. I think it's it's not unique to a question of sport. Um, they did a similar thing with Top Gear a while ago, didn't they? And it didn't quite work, and then they just they just tried again. I admire the BBC for wanting to alter its formats because things can't go on forever. They do get moribund. I really like Sue Barker. I think she seems like a very pleasant and genuine person. She's a good presenter. She doesn't take herself too seriously. She's good on that. Um, I quite like the two team captains as well. I, 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 I warm more to Phil Tuffnell than I do to the other one, to Matt Dawson. But I do because I just I just am charmed by Phil Tuffnell's ridiculous. The cheeky chappy. He's just his ridiculous kind of bufferness, his occasional complete darkness. I just like him. I just think he's and, and you know, I think he, he's, he's good fun for that. It was something I enjoyed. But I say that because I realized the other day that I hadn't knowingly watched it for years, despite approving of the program and liking it. Because I think I felt I'd seen it before. I think I felt I'd seen it many, many times. And. I just it stopped being interesting to me, even though I really like sport and I really liked all of them. I had no, no problem with the format. I just stopped appealing to me. And also the usual thing with the BBC, they kept moving it around. So I never knew when it was on. Mm. It always used to be on Friday nights and then it wasn't. And then it became one of those programmes which just randomly seemed to pop up when you thought you'd be watching something else. It would just kind of crop up at a random time on a Saturday evening or something. So, so. I, I think it's right that they do refresh, refreshing things. I was interested, some made the put on Twitter, of course, like you say, the sort of the hashtag defund the BBC mob kind of jumped on the minute it was announced. Mm. And, you know, people with numbers in their name and a union flag kind of soon popped up and said that I, Gary Lineker created somewhat of a faux pas by congratulating Alex Scott before she'd even actually got yes. the job. So that was a bit unfortunate. But um, she was... She is the person that's the front runner. There are lots of defund BBC people going, it's wokeness, you know, they want to give it to a black woman, blah, blah, blah. Someone made the good point. I believe Alex Scott has some sort of degree in broadcast journalism or something she like that. She does to, indeed, yes. Yeah, so, so actually, if you want to talk about whether or not people are qualified, if you want someone who is actually genuinely, literally technically qualified, that is Alex Scott. You I mean, you could argue that having a degree in broadcast journalism might not necessarily make you good at it, but if you're talking about the best qualified for the person for the job, that is her on paper, isn't it? And she's she's an engaging presence. She's very good. She's got She's excellent on Football Focus as a panellist. I think she'll be really good. And I think, you know, it's time for new people to do things. I, I think that the same things can't continue forever because they just they lose what charm they had. I, you know, I think Have I Got News For You is is beginning to feel like it's past its sell by date. QI is something in point that's managed to sort of save itself, I think, by moving Stephen Fry to Sandy Toswig and also... A QI to me has been one of the programmes that has benefited the most from the BBC's fairly recent policy of always booking one woman 
on a panel show because they have multiple women and actually holly walsh made a crack when it was on the other night they were talking about um uh, match boxes and how the um the uh, they used to put the striking paper on both sides of the match box and someone suggested in the workers suggestions box at one of the factories that they only needed to put it on one side and the company took it up and they saw they they saved tens of thousands worth of pounds in like you know sort of the 30s or the 40s to which holly walsh you know sort of drolly replied well that's what the bbc are doing here they've booked three out of four women on the panel to save money so <laughs> um, so which is a and tandy tolson demurred in making any response to that but um but so so i i'm of the view that that uh, i mean wokeness for wokeness sake if you want to use that awful word is it you know does has the opposite effect that it is meant to achieve but having said that i admire the fact that the BBC are trying to broaden the voices that they have. I particularly enjoyed the snooker coverage this year. Hazel Irvin, who is excellent and has been doing it not forever, a while, but not forever. So you think, well, you know, she, she's still, you know, she's still able to keep doing it. It still makes sense to have her do it. Was unable to present this year because of a family member or a, a relative that was unwell who she was having to care for in New Zealand. So she wasn't available. So they tried out other people instead. Um, some some were good. Some were obviously new. They were enthusiastic, but you know it was their first go, and that was that was sort of clear. Although I don't mean that unpleasantly. I mean there was obviously you know there was room for improvement, but signs that they could improve. Jason Mohammed was excellent as he always is. And one thing that I noticed a few days into watching it was that they all happened to be. Um, black minority ethic so so I, I i you know i admire the bbc trying to broaden its voices because i think and this is something which i think if anybody has sort of studied studied sort of management or, or decision making processes or even sort of public law which is the, the angle that i'm coming at it from if you have a broader range of voices and experiences and you know different characteristics in the room the people that bring different experiences in their own lives you are more likely to think of more factors and and consider more things when making a decision and you're probably likely to come out with a better decision and i think the same applies across the board so so I don't necessarily agree with change for change's sake, but there are some things that have become moribund and a new director general is taking the opportunity to refresh those things. And I think it's a good thing. And I think there's more that I could do. And and yes, I am singling out. Have I got news for you? Because I do think that's past its best. Talking about the new um, managing, the new director general, sorry, yeah. the new director general is the former Pepsi Cola marketing manager, mm. Tim Davey, mm. um, also a former Conservative Party councillor in Hammersmith, by the way. I did not know that. Interesting. Mm. Okay. There are changes afoot, but his influence may yet to be felt in some areas. Um, as a public body, uh, the BBC has to publish salary details mm. of its higher paid uh, staff and Mm. And contracted presenters. And this week we learned that some presenters, uh, Hugh Edwards, Gary Lineker, uh, as examples, had either volunteered for or accepted cuts in salary. But some uh, so-called star names have received massive increases. Zoe Ball presents the BBC Radio 2 breakfast show. Since she took it over uh, maybe a year or two ago, the audiences have dropped by a million this week we learned her salary is to increase from £370,000 a year to £1.36 million a year. Jules, 
Can you think of any other occupation where you would receive an increase of a million pounds a year for failing at your job? Whatever it is that Dido Harding does next. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Um, Well, yes, I see the point you were making. I mean, in a way, or or, in the interest of, I say balance. Maybe they should swap jobs. Zoe Ball in charge of track and trace and (laughs) Dido Harding does the breakfast show. It can't be any worse than what's happened already, surely. You know, at least you'd do it with a smile. But anyway, in, in in order to kind of balance up the gender there, you could have inserted Chris Grayling into that sentence as well. Someone who really is failing upwards who we've learnt this week the man that that had that delivered a contract for ferries with no ferries is now being paid a hundred thousand pounds reportedly for seven hours work a week um running ports authority so um so yes there are there are um, other professions in which you could fail upwards terence but i do I take your point. point i will engage i will engage with this point that you're making um part of it I think and I'm not necessarily saying all of it but some of this is historic in that part of the reason why these these, just to put them in a wider context part of the reason why these high earning men have either had imposed on them or agreed to take pay cuts is because there were the most shocking levels of gender equality pay were revealed at the BBC. Samira Ahmed's very very famous successful case against the BBC in which she was paid a ridiculous amount of money compared to jeremy vine she was uh, presenting i think it was called Newswatch, which was a kind of a, a, a review of the bbc's news output and uh, jeremy vine was presenting a similar program uh, based on its entertainment output called points of view which people will be very familiar with i've always been a fan of points of view mostly because they get people to read out emails in silly voices and that always makes me laugh but anyway it probably isn't very uh, probably isn't very kind but anyway it does make me chuckle but uh, he presented this program she was getting, I think it was a three-figure sum an episode. It was something like 750. It really wasn't very much. And he was getting a six-figure salary purely for doing points of view. That's not to confuse it with his other Radio 2 presenting. And when the BBC Tribunal were asked why this was, one of their key bits of evidence was that it was an entertainment programme, so it was on a different scale, which firstly is enraging, as it is, but secondly their evidence for it being an entertainment programme hinged on the fact that Mr Vine wore a hat on two occasions. It involved dressing up and it <laughs> boiled down to him wearing a hat. Samir Ahmed won and there have been several hundred of cases that have been either settled or, or, or you know, or, or kind of pay, or unofficial pay reviews that have gone on. As a result of which, it was initially thought that they'd try and make it up by having men give up their salary, which I don't actually think is right. I think equality should be about everyone moving upwards, not people having to be pulled down, if you see what I mean. So, so, that, so that happened. So I wonder if part of this is Zoe Ball being paid. I mean, I could be reaching. This is just a, a, a speculative idea. Maybe part of it is that perhaps that would have been what she, what a man would have been being paid in the past. So I don't know if it's part of that. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I was trying to think what else Zoe Ball does as well as presenting the Radio 2 Breakfast Show. And she does do. Now, was just to, just to sort of get a fact check on this, was... Was that expressed purely as her salary for doing the Radio 2 Breakfast Show or was it just expressed as her BBC salary? Um, I, I don't know, but I assume you're you're driving towards the dancing show that she presents. Generally being used for other presenting jobs mm. 
sort of what I'm saying. I'm not just saying it's that she she does a radio two breakfast show. She does strictly come dancing. She or the 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 the, the it takes two one the one on the the daily one on Monday. Kind of a I, review I, of the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know you're skeptical about this, but let me finish. <laughs> and, no, no, uh, and, uh, and sort of other she does sort of whenever they do big concerts, don't they? On on, on radio mm. two, she seems to do a lot of that kind of presenting. I don't know if it's to reflect that. What is interesting I, I, to try and make this a more positive story. I'm very pleased to see Lauren Laverne in the top 10 BBC earners because she does a lot of presenting. I think she's really, I think I've spoken about this on the show before, I've, she's really, on, on the podcast before, she's really put a shift in at a difficult time um, on Six Music. So the listeners love her. She shows a real connection. She does do other presenting for the BBC. I mean, if you do various high-profile presenting for the BBC, you know, the BBC has to be competitive. I do understand that it that it does have to be competitive. Its its entertainment output is a money spinner all around the world. It's part of its commercial arm. You know, I I think it's unrealistic. I suspect that people like Lauren Laverne could get a lot of money elsewhere, but they have made a they've made a choice politically with a small p that they are that they wish to stay at the BBC, and I I admire that. I you know I I, I think that that you know that that. Yeah, sometimes the people are overpaid for things. Actually, I think Gary Lineker is extreme. You know, if you're going to complain about Zoe Ball, okay, fine. But I think Gary Lineker gets paid extortionate amounts. All he does is present match of the day, doesn't he? Or, or maybe to a podcast. You know, I, I don't I don't think it's... Yes, I, I think that, you know, you could say that Zoe Ball's Radio 2 Breakfast Show has not been going terribly well recently, although it could be that that's, a, that's a, something that radio suffers from generally, or particularly what I call unniche radio. So generalist radio, I think, is, is Six Music has done well at exploiting a niche in the market. Although I would point out the person that tried to close it and then had to backtrack was BBC Director General Tim, Tim David. Davis. Yes, yes, at the time, who, which doesn't exactly fill me with confidence. And someone has made the point, and I think it's a good one. I didn't know the thing about the Conservative uh, Council, and that's mm. very interesting. But the um, point someone made was Tim Davy has never made any programming no he's, no he's a pep, you know he's a pepsi color he's yeah, from the public from the yeah, private sector sorry he's a marketing man and that's yeah. that is a concern i think because i'm not entirely sure that's someone that shows an understanding of of how broadcasting works so i uh, you know jury out on him it'd be interesting to see what happens but um but yeah i, I so yes it does seem it does seem strange that Zoe Ball is, is getting this, this cash for, you know, a show that is not going terribly well, although Radio 2, you know, has issues. All radio seems to have issues generally. Radio 1 is suffering from huge issues at the moment, which I think we might have talked about before. Mm. She does she does do other things on the BBC. I'm not saying, you know, who knows if she's value or not, but if she isn't good value, she's certainly not the only one. Well, in terms of value, and I don't mean to be picking on the on the woman, but Zoe Ball, 1.36 million uh, a year, whether it's for the radio, which I rather think it is, but whatever it's for, no other radio station in the world would pay her that to probably, do a breakfast show, particularly with her, you know, listening figures. But um, she is a very good presenter, though. Can I just point that out? I, she, always, mm. she's, I think she's very underrated as a presenter. Okay. I think she's very witty and quite warm. So I do like her. I think we should we should give praise where it's due. 
I think this is where the BBC gets it so terribly, awfully wrong. There's still this obsession at BBC Radio mm. that they have to chase the young audience, have to chase yeah. the youth. And well, first of all... You know more about what's going on at BBC Radio than me, I reckon, so carry First on. of all, the people they put in place, Zoe Ball, Claudia Winkleman, Scott Mills... These people have no resonance with young people mm -hmm. at all. Secondly, and most importantly, young people don't listen and don't care about radio. There is, there's now a generation of 12 to 25-year-olds who don't even own a radio or access radio on their devices. They, they don't care. They get music through YouTube, TikTok, streaming services, Spotify yeah. and whatever, Facebook but not radio. And it's not coming back and it's done for the youth market. And the BBC in particular is yet to understand or acknowledge that. And coupled with these eye-watering sal salaries for presenters, including Lineker, Zoe Ball, um, and some who aren't very good, um, you can see why so-called BBC bashing goes beyond political allegiances. Mm, no, I can. Although one thing I would say, just to push back slightly on that, Radio 2 is not trying to appeal to a youth market. I, if I had to order the, the radio stations in, in order of youth going from youngest to oldest, you'd probably put Radio 1 and Radio 1 Extra and we could have a whole separate discussion about Radio 1 Extra and how it is completely dumb for Radio 1 um, at the bottom. You put six music, which I would probably say is aimed at people in their 30s to 50s. I very much fall within that demographic who like slightly more alternative music. Radio 2, you would say, is pitched halfway in the middle of that to halfway above. So say that you're pitching Radio 2 at people who are in their 40s. If you look at it that way... Zoe Ball and Sarah Cox and Joe Wiley are shrewd signings because they are the presenters that those people grew up with on Radio 1. Mm. So actually, I think that to say that, that putting Zoe Ball on is trying to appeal to youth is not actually, I would exempt her and people like her from that. They're not appealing to youth. They're trying to keep their once youthful audience on a different channel. But uh, yeah, I, I'm surprised that Scott Mills has not been utilised more by Radio 2 and that he still remains on Radio 1 because you'd think it is time to pop him over. And Radio, Radio 2 is sort of... Um, Radio 2 is sort of, you know, the next phase before Radio 4 for people that still want to listen to music radio. And I, I'm still in the six music holding pen of people that aren't old enough to, to listen to Radio 2 or people that won't admit that they're old enough to listen to Radio 2 and also can't deal with Ken Bruce playing Shalimar all the time. So <laughs> it's not that I don't like Shalimar, but, you know, you, you can have too much of a, of a reasonably soft thing. So, uh, so. Yeah, I agree with you that, that, you know, there are issues in the way that, that, that BBC Radio is prioritising. I don't necessarily think that it's wrong to put Zoe Ball on Radio 2, though, although, as you say, the listening figures don't paint a very promising picture. No. Coming right up, Terence Conran and The Clash. And, um, Together again at last. And changing furniture habits or habitats. Hey, you're, you're too good for this, Terence. You should, you should get, you should just go solo, bring back variety. That's right. After this sparkly new single from the Fiends. Did you find the time? It's more fun in the summer. Was it out of choice? Honest with the other. Sunsets, 
filmed in their hometown of Scarborough and they're a newish band with a great feel for uh, entrancing hooks and lovely melodies brand new single from the fiends sunset I like that I thought that was good I, I hadn't I wasn't familiar with them but I thought that was good I would hear more by them uh, the, the way that the way that punk rock was viewed um, changed dramatically from 1976 to 1977. It went from the filth and fury headlines of the mm-hmm. Bill Grundy incident in 1976 to, uh, by 1977, the Cognoscenti wanting to be seen with proper punk musicians and mm. trying to crowbar themselves into the scene. And one such person was Sebastian Conran, uh, now a respected British designer with a wife and two children. Back in 1977, a rather odd young man, he, he'd agree with that. Um, he would be the first to say. Um, he was driving around London on a battered yellow scooter to get to punk gigs. But the thing with Sebastian was, he, being the son of Terence Conran, he had free run of this massive mm-hmm. house just next to Regent's yes. Park. Hey. And he offered uh, Joe Strummer, then living in a squat in Elgin, Elgin Road, he offered Joe Strummer um, to live in the attic of this massive house rent free. Now, a year before, I'd been booking Joe Strummer's uh, then band, the 101ers, mm. into pub gigs. When I know was, them. I've stood in front of their posters. I understand who they are. <laughs> yeah, he was known then as Woody Meller, and he spoke mm. with a soft public school accent but um inevitably in this regent's park mansion joe would play rockabilly and reggae uh music massively high volume and one evening i was around there when terence conran himself turned up um we thought he was a terribly old geezer but he must have been <laughs> only in his like early mid 40s oh, wow. and i think there'd been complaints to the police about the noise and they they contacted sebastian's father to come and chuck us all out Uh, And uh, (laughs) that was the end of Joe Strummer living in opulence in Regent's Park. Now, this week, Terence Conran, he died. (laughs) This week, Terence Conran died at the age of 88. Mm. And as a a designer and furniture retailer, he will forever be associated with the household goods and furniture chain he founded Habitat. In later years, the brand it has been dragged down market so much. It's now owned by Sainsbury Supermarket, who also own Argos. And I was thinking, Jules, for your generation, the breath of fresh air that we used to feel of going into the King's Road branch of Habitat and seeing non-dark brown home furnishings. Mm. Every post-war home was filled with dark brown furniture. Mm. You don't need that experience. You have IKEA and I suppose any number of online brands. 
Yeah, I suppose it's true. I think you're right. Although having said that, um, firstly, I did used to like Habitat. There was one in Brighton, and I used to go there occasionally. And I was very sad that I that one of the big selling points for me of going to train with a firm in Tunbridge Wells was that there was a very large Habitat in an almost villa type building. It was very imposing. Opposite the town hall, it had a kind of a similar sort of vibe um, at the top of the high street, and not the high street, the, near where the shopping centre is, you know that sort of thing, and in what can only be described as the worst timing ever as the man would say from the simpsons um three days after i started working it closed down unfortunately so i did not get to spend the lunch times i'd envisioned tripping around habitats buying rugs etc um there is still a habitat by the way in brighton that is called shabitat which is a very <laughs> a very sort of well-known and loved second-hand store that, that that you know sells upcycled that sold upcycled furniture before it was fashionable um so so yeah so i have well this is the confession time i'm of the generation who buys everything in ikea apparently mm. i've never been in an ikea have you not I'm, i've I'm never surprised. never have i know it's really strange i've never seen titanic i've never been in ikea <laughs> i've never watched mrs brown's boys i'm completely out of step with you know with with with, with the world it would seem well particularly, particularly modern britain i don't know but anyway yes uh, Ikea, you know, if I was a normal person, I would have been in Ikea. Not even but... online. Have you ordered stuff from them online? Oh, yes, I did, actually. I think mm. I might have ordered some of those Kallax cubes that everybody puts their um, puts their records in. Oh, I think yeah. I might have some of those. I haven't got a Billy... Oh, I have got a Billy bookcase. Take that back. I'm looking at a Billy bookcase mm. now. So Everybody's I... got a Billy bookcase or two. True. Well, well, it's good design. But, um, yeah. but yeah, so, so, yes, I am a fan of Ikea. I... Um, I've, I've always, to the point where I've always deliberately not particularly engaged with IKEA because if I did, I would probably spend all of my money in IKEA. I think because I because the, the design of it appeals to my generation and my class, to, to put it frankly. So um so yes, I suppose IKEA is my or IKEA a potato tomato is my is my generation's equivalent. I did used to buy a lot of stuff in Argos as well. I must admit the sofa in this studio, which is still in reasonable nick, was my first sofa that I ever owned when I moved out. That, that you know would cost however much it did from Argos that used to be the kind of one stop shop I suppose really if you if you listen if you listen to Radio 2 and Radio I suppose if you listen to Radio 4 you go to Ikea and if you listen to Radio 2 or Heart then you go to Argos I guess if you want to tie this up from the thing earlier on but um but yeah I I mean I, I admire Conran hugely I I did have some experience with his design stuff because I think he designed for Debenhams for a while I think so I used to see some some of the things in there and I understand the importance of him from a design perspective and my friends that have been or are art design students have told me about that but yeah I, I mean I suppose if I was ordinary, if I if I was actually normal and did things that I was meant to I would be shopping in IKEA. Of course Terence Conran um, has an involuntary link with the Beatles ah, because in the, in the revolution of the mid-60s when young people were putting habitat pine everywhere in their flats um, here, there and everywhere. <laughs> um, one such person was London Evening Standard uh, journalist Maureen Cleave, who had an affair with John Lennon. And when he visited her flat, he commented on all the pine panelling on the walls. And she said, isn't it good? It's Norwegian wood. Oh, wow. 
choice. That and is really true. That's mad. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote a song all about their, their liaison. But in deference to Cynthia, of course, uh, he pretended he slept in the bath when, of course, he was actually having a, a fling with Maureen Cleave. So um, not at all about Scandinavian forestry, but Maureen Cleave's flat in London, Norwegian wood as purchased in Terence Conrad's habitat. Who knew? That there you is are. Immense. I, I never what knew. A revelation. Indeed, talking about a revelation. Indeed, um, you say you want a revelation, revelation number nine. Yeah, you say you want a revelation, etc. Yeah. <laughs> I think we flogged that horse. I dead. think we have. As ever, thank you very much for listening to us once again. May I may I re-emphasise my uh, my learned friend's excellent point? Now, George, if you're neither hosting Question of Sport nor stomping around the grouse moors of East Sussex... <laughs> Which uh, there are many and various. Uh, I'm sure there are. That will mean you're to be found on the radio. Yes, I thought I'd keep doing it for a bit. So, okay. um, so yes, I am back this weekend. We're recording this on Friday evening. I suspect you may be hearing this over the weekend. So, uh, so I will be doing Saturday evening, 5 to 7, tea time, I suppose that is, rather than evening. I have a little mix of the channel, mixlr.com. You can uh, pop on there between 5 and 7, and I'll do my Saturday social show for you, which is Northern Soul, Motown, Mod, etc. And on Sunday evening, in the same place from 7 to 9, I do something called Smooth Sailing, which is a rather less credible proposition but nonetheless very 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 enjoyable if you like that sort of thing yacht rock mor classic pop easy listening that's just uplifting kind of comforting tunes really it's slightly comfort food but everyone that does listen uh it's a cult thing but it's it's people that listen to it seem to really like it and it's fun to do so if you'd like to join me that'd be great in troubled times jules we can always rely on aretha we can sadly not with us but but anymore but she is one of the greatest voices ever i think and one of the greatest singer performers ever i think and i love her covers of things of course her signature song respect is itself a cover of the otis redding tune that had come out the previous year but this is just wonderful i love this version i do like bridge over troubled water i think it's an excellent song by simon and garfunkel but i did find their version to be slightly overblown towards the end it is very kind of it seems to go very loud i don't know why that's just me (laughs) aging and getting tinnitus i don't know but i like this because it's it this very much builds it's quite a cool version i think i love the fact that there isn't a vocal in this for absolutely ages and then it seems like they suddenly remember that there ought to be one at some point and then it isn't even her it's it's uh, it's it's banging zingers and i do find this song a comfort in troubling times i must admit and i think that this is a, a beautiful version and i love the way that aretha eventually comes roaring in at the end it is the ultimate in delayed gratification i think this is aretha franklin's version of bridge over troubled water
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs> <laughs>